0: Criscuit 42 podcast. It's 2022. Time for a new season. Season 3 of Crisket 42. Maybe you can hear a little bit of rattling in the background out here. In the desert lair. Lots of sandstorms rolling around at the moment. So any background noise I apologise for. So as I'll be coming in your ears throughout 2022. I'm also going to try and continue to do the music myself. Yes, quite often I would use background music or usually free music. But I'm going to try and do it all myself in the future using the keyboard or the ukulele or whatever I have to hand and we'll see where we go with that. Because it's nice to keep the podcast completely my own and not infringe copyright of course. So what are we going to talk about into 2022? Hopefully get an episode out a month, maybe some more. I'm going to try and keep these a bit less scripted as well. This one I'm just going to make it up as I go along and see where we end up. So what have I been up to? It was Christmas, it was New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. I hope you all had a fantastic Christmas and New Year. And if you didn't, try again this year. What did I get up to? I was travelling to the UK. I managed to get in a couple of concerts, some great bands. Firstly, I went to Newcastle in the northeast of England and I went to see The Twang, a great early 2000s band. And they were on at Newcastle Riverside, a great little venue just on the side of the river. Those of you familiar with Newcastle Brown Ale bottles, if you see the bridge on the front of that, The venue is just underneath that bridge, although for this Asian blooded man and used to warmer climes, it was really, really cold out there, freezing fog rolling in. I wasn't happy with that. Who else did I go and see? I was lucky enough again to visit one of my favourite more recent bands, a band I first met at Glastonbury in 2019. Hopefully Glastonbury 22 will happen. I guess more about that as and when it does. But I saw the bar steward Sons of Val Duniken, and they were on their anarchic winter woollies tour. And this was the finale, but it was a fundraiser for Barnsley Hospice in Barnsley, in Yorkshire, in England. It was an evening of silliness, sing alongs and songs in the Key of Tarn, and including their traditional, terribly acted panto. This year's crap panto was Count Orlock and his Symphony of Horror, and it was at the Barnsley Electric Theatre. But this was a whole evening of great music. The Bar Steward Sons are actually known for their parody songs. But there was other musicians there, such as Canadians in Space. Great local band. Not Canadian and not from space. There was the inimitable ukulele disco of McShane and Shaw. Check them out. Amazing with the ukulele. You all know I like my ukulele. But there was the one and the only Mike McBride from Pocket Full and Out. Unbelievably funny. For me, this guy is a genius. Check him out on YouTube if you can find him Mike McBride or Pocketful or Nout or apostrophe Nowt, N-O-W-T, there's a really funny video of him singing in the back of a Barnsley pub in a wheelie bin. Says it all really, he also played the part of Count Orlock throughout, and including his crap cardboard teeth, fantastic performance. Also on the bill were Muddy Summers and the Dirty Field Hawes. a really good three piece band. I think they normally have four, but one was missing. But anyway, another good band to check out. Lots of fun was had, for sure. In fact, all of the festive music I had was enjoyable. The final offering was Ocean Colour Scene in the Roundhouse in Camden Town in London. A great venue. I think I actually mistakenly told people it was built around an old gasometer. You see these around London in old pictures where town gas used to be stored up in huge tanks. And many of the buildings around this area, particularly near King's Cross, have been developed and adapted from these gasometers. However, the roundhouse, I was mistaken, it wasn't. It was actually a roundhouse for locomotive engines back in the day of steam trains. And this was a turning point for the engines. But it's a fantastic venue, huge venue with great history and perfect for watching Ocean Colour Scene, One of my favourite bands of all time. And even better, they were joined by Paul Weller for a couple of songs. Even the support band were really good. It was the enemy. As soon as I walked in and heard them playing, fantastic. Check them out too. Okay, that quickly sums up which concerts I went to over Christmas. And also, if you were listening to these podcasts during Christmas, you'd have heard my Festive Crackers, which featured 12 classic Christmas tales, one actually original poem, which I wrote myself, see if you can spot which one it was, and a few other stories from around Christmas to get you in the festive mood. Very enjoyable to do, and I hope some people got some fun out of that as well. Maybe do the same next year. Talking of Christmas, what did I get for Christmas? Well this has already featured once on the Chris Kitt YouTube channel, I got a banjolele. But not any old banjolele. A certain two people bought me a vintage John Gray and Sons banjolele. Now the instrument is circa 1920s, possibly 1940s. The original book, which teaches you how to play the banjolele, which is in the original case, says 1927. I think the instrument may be a little bit newer than that, 1940s perhaps. But it's hard to date but it's a great classic instrument for sure and i was very appreciative of that i finally got it tuned up a bit better and hopefully have some more banjo-lele songs <laughs> has to be done and as i said the kriskit youtube channel lots and lots of content on there of recent times i did a week of the musical songs i've just been doing any old songs i can think of and give them a go performed live here in the desert lair and other places on keyboard or the banjo or now the banjo Lely. Fantastic. or well, at least I'm having fun with it anyway. Now what I thought I would do for the main section of this podcast is talk about something, well a place I've visited many times over the last 26 years. No, it's not Disney World, no. Very close to Disney World though. And I was thinking, after the recent shenanigans with Disney, and, and I really think the park experience has been downgraded over the last few years, with more of a money grab for want of a better word. I think the demise of the fast pass is not a good thing and now having to pay for rides, on top of already paying for your ticket entry and even just paying to get in a queue, it's not really for me and I could see a lot of people reducing their time spent at Disney parks. So who will gladly take those customers? Well over the last few visits for me, Universal Studios is really stepping up its game. Fantastic parks and it does have the history. People sometimes think it doesn't but it does have history. After all Universal Studios, 1912 I think it was established. So I'm going to discuss the Universal Studios parks in Florida and what I thought about doing was, if I had two days to visit these parks, how would I do it? Where would I stay? What would I eat? What would I drink? And I based this basically on, on driving perhaps a couple of hours to get there in the morning and arriving at the park at say 10.30 in the morning for your first day. You've got two days to do it, you can hop between the parks. This is how I would do it. Not for everybody maybes, but a couple of tips And a couple of hidden gems in there as well. So here we go. Let's talk Universal Studios Orlando. Okay, let's talk Universal Studios. As I said, I would base this on arriving at the park around 10.30 in the morning for your first day. So if you've driven there from a few hours away or you've just landed the night before, it gives you time to get breakfast and get ready for a day at the parks where would I stay? Let's start with that. Well for me you have many choices of hotels around Universal and there's some cheap motels on International Drive if you want to do that but for me probably the best value is staying at either Surfside or Dockside. These are part of the Universal Studios resort although they are owned and operated by Laws, I believe but you can get a real bargain here. For around $118 per night plus tax or if you know a friend who can get you them cheaper, even better. The Florida resident rates are very good. You can stay at Surfside or Dockside. I've stayed at both. My preference would be the slightly smaller Surfside. No idea why, it just seemed more homely to me and it's a more pleasant place to stay. Not as chaotic as Dockside is, I'm not saying Dockside is a bad place. I would stay there in a heartbeat as well. But Surfside for me, just slightly better. And it's also, I believe, the first drop off on the way back on the bus. Always good. So yes, that's what I would do. I would stay at Surfside. I would check in early. You might not get your room, but they're more than happy to issue you your room key. It won't work yet, but it will when you come back. They'll issue you your tickets if you've ordered them in the lobby, and they'll take your luggage. Fantastic. I think parking was $15 a night as well. But that's not too bad. I don't really approve of having to pay for parking in hotels, but I let them off with this one. It's a decent, safe parking lot anyway. One thing that should be said about the surf side and the dock side for that matter, though, they are quite far from the park. You can't walk it. Well, you probably could, but it'd take you a while. Over a treacherous I4, I believe. But also, there's plenty of restaurants and other shops nearby. There's even a CVS or a Walgreens, I think it is, over the road from the hotel. So always useful if you need anything last minute. So it's a great place to stay. And you don't have to break a bank to do it. So I would hop on the bus from Surfside, as I said. And what I would do on my first day, I would head to Islands of Adventure first. Get the bus across, walk through City Walk, and you'll spot the Pharos Lighthouse. Yes, that's what that lighthouse is, at the port of entry. And this is the real Islands of Adventure icon, as it stands modelled after the lighthouse of Alexandria, which is actually one of the Seven Wonders of the World, or was it one of the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World, I believe. Okay enough history, as I said I haven't written anything about this, but I'm just making it up as I go along, so it'll be fine, we'll see what we end up, if I make any mistakes don't worry. So yes we're going to do one lap of Islands of Adventure for our first day, and a good tip for these parks, don't worry about hitting the big rides at all you will get to them. Don't rush to them. Everybody does that. It's not worth it. So I would start a port of entry and I would turn right. I would head to Seuss Landing. If you're hungry, get a quick snack of hoo-hash at Green Eggs and Ham. It's not a bad little stop. It can be a bit of a slow queue though sometimes, but if it's not busy, go for it. Get some hoo-hash and that will load you up ready for the day. And what would my first attraction be? Of course, the cat in the hat. You must not be about when your mother is out as the fish in the dish once said. "Okay, I would do that, it's not one of those earth shattering rides, it's not a thrill ride, it's just a good bit of fun to know that you've arrived at Universal. I would also try and fit in 1 fish 2 fish, red fish, blue fish too. Simply for the reason that I like to say 1 fish 2 fish, red fish, blue fish. As you all know or may not know, I do like my Dr Seuss. You'll notice everything in Seuss Landing actually is non-geometrical. Did you know there are no straight lines in Dr Seuss's books? They're all wobbly lines. And that's why everything in Seuss Landing is. A little top thing actually, I seem to remember somebody telling me this, that the palm trees there were retrieved, because they're all bendy and out of shape, because of Hurricane Andrew. And they survived Hurricane Andrew, so they brought the trees there, because they looked like Dr Seuss would draw them. There you go. A Little bit of nonsense, we're going to get lots of that on the way during this one I can guarantee. Whether it's alright or not, who knows, who cares. Okay, so we've made it to Seuss Landing, The carousel, for me, I think actually last time I was there it was down for maintenance, but I'm not really worried about that one. If you like carousels, go for it. But there's also the trolley car around the Seuss Landing, I can't remember what that's called. A lot of people don't like this and it can be a bit of a slow loader. So if there's no queue there, I would nip on there as well. It gives very good views around the whole park and a very different perspective of Seuss Landing. Plenty of opportunities also in Seuss Landing. You might be lucky enough to meet the Grinch or the Cat in the Hat. All Thing 1 and Thing 2 or many other other characters from Dr. Seuss. Ok, heading out of Seuss Landing, I'm going to keep this brief don't worry. Where do we go next? We'd walk past Mythos. And Poseidon's Fury was it on the right there? Don't go in there, it's a waste of time, I actually think it's closed now. But it's a waste of time. The Sinbad show I think has closed as well, last time I was there it wasn't open. That used to be ok if you want a little bit of a sit down and a show, but we're moving on fast through that. So we get to Hogsmeade next. I'm walking up through Hogsmeade, do not worry about doing much in Hogsmeade, by all means stop into the three broomsticks is it there for a pint, no problem with that, I think I did last time, but don't worry about hanging around Hogsmeade too much, I'll explain that shortly, because we're there to do a ride. Now for me, you have Hagrid's ride there, don't worry about that just yet, that's for later, do not try and hit that when there's a three hour queue for it or you won't get on anywhere. The Hippogriff ride, if it's quiet by all means jump on, it's a good ride, gives good views around the park, but I'll explain where you'll ride that later. I would personally go through Harry Potter and the Forbidden Forest ride, is it Forbidden Forest or Forbidden Journey, I can never remember the full name of that attraction. Okay, so we've done Harry Potter, get in there, it's usually not too much of a queue, 30 or 40 minute wait is worth it because the queue is very good, it's a nice queue to wander around and if you're a Potter fan like I am, you can take it all in. So yeah, you're into your day already by this point and you might need to stop for lunch if you didn't get your Who hash earlier on. If you want to pick up a beer after leaving Hogsmeade, or after leaving the ride, you can cut through into now into Jurassic Park. Welcome to Jurassic Park, I can't play that on keyboard yet. Okay, we're into Jurassic Park. Take a look around there, if Velocicoaster happens to be a tiny queue, which is highly unlikely, keep it for later, don't worry, as I said with Hagrid's ride, with Velocicoaster and any of the other big attractions where there's a large queue, you'll pick them up later, it always works out at Universal to do those things late at night. Okay, we're moving on. Jurassic Park, why not do the water ride, if it's not too cold, so it's sunny enough for you to dry out, do Jurassic Park, you won't get too wet on this attraction and I personally think it's a good classic ride, it's a bit of a must do for me sometimes. So get on Jurassic Park, do the ride, fantastic, you're already halfway around the park anyway by this point. Where do we go next? we move on for Jurassic Park. Skip Kong. Now I'm a big King Kong fan. If you've listened to my monster movies podcast you'd know that. But save it for later. I know this sounds like we're putting a lot of things off and you might not get them completed. But there's a reason for doing Kong later which I'll explain at the end of day two. Or is it day one? I can't remember. I'll get there and I'll mention it I'm sure. Okay we've left Kong behind and we've got Dudley Do-Right's Ripsaw Falls. Personally I'm not a fan of it. I do like log flumes. But it's a very fast ride, and not for the faint of heart, but it's not just that, there's something about it I just, it doesn't do much for me. And I am a bit of a fan of Dudley Do-Ride and that kind of animation. If it's a really sunny day though, one of my must do's, and this is a top tip for me, I always, always carry a pair of swim shorts and a swim t-shirt in my little $3.99 from Walmart backpack. Yes, it's been to all the parks with me. Those of you who have seen me in the parks will see me with a little red $3.99 backpack. But I always keep my swim shorts and swim shirt in there because I love Bluto's Bilge Barge Rats or whatever it's called, the water ride. I love getting soaking wet on that. Do not, repeat, do not wear your shoes and normal clothes for going on there. You will get soaked. And because many people know this, they don't go on this ride. I've ridden it three times, one after the other. You do have to walk around the queue again. But it's such a good ride, you get soaking wet. If you get the right barge full of similar minded people, you can have such a good laugh getting soaking wet, who's going to get the wettest? And if you don't care about it, it's fantastic. But you often come off and see people soak through to the skin and that can be a day ruined in my view. So get changed. So I swap into my swim shorts and swim t-shirt, to keep the standards you know. And then I just ride it as many times as I can. And you can usually fit it in quite a few times in a short period of time. So yes that's a good place for me. Because then you cut through the comic book area, is it Toon Lagoon? Actually I've done Dudley Doo Right's early, that would be after Bilge Barge Rats, I still don't know what that's called, I'll have to look it up at some point. Anyway you know what I mean, the one with Popeye and Wimpy eating his burgers outside. (laughs) That's a great photo spot I must admit. Anyway we're down through Toon Lagoon and there's some bathrooms just before you enter the comic book world. Great place to change out of your swim shorts and t-shirt and get your regular clothes on and then do Spider Man. Again if there's not much of a queue, 20-30 to minutes, no problem at all, you can fit that in. Spider-Man, great ride. a Bit of an ageing ride. I think Transformers is the better version of that kind of ride, which I'll come to later, but Spider-Man is a good must do for me. I wouldn't do Doctor Doom's freefall, I just simply don't think I get much from it. I'm not really a fan of those shoot you up in the air and drop you down rides. No idea why, but it just doesn't do anything for me. I'm sure it offers a good view. I've, re- I've done it a few times I seem to remember, but not for a long time. Then you have the Orgasmatron or whatever it's called in the corner. I can never remember the name of that one. The whirly-spinny thing. That's okay. But the Hulk, keep for later. I will talk about Hulk later on for sure. Okay, we've done a lap there very very quickly of Islands of Adventure, that will take you quite a few hours. And just take your time, meander around, enjoy the park. It's a really good theme park that you can take in the atmosphere. Have a couple of beers if you feel the need. Also don't forget, I should have mentioned this, you can get your refillable cup of soft drinks. I believe it's $12.95 and you can refill it as many times as you want throughout the day. Bargain. Absolute must-do for me. I like my ices. If I'm not drinking alcohol, and I could suck on those, pardon the pun, all day long. Okay, maybe stop for an icy then. That's a good idea. Or just near the port of entry, there's a nice little bar there on the left that does a good margarita and some beers. That's a good refreshment point as well. Because we're going to continue walking back towards Hogsmeade. Okay. By the time you get to this point, it should be evening. It's starting to get a bit darker. Park is starting to thin out. Okay. We've skipped about six hours here, by the way. (laughs) The park usually would be closing at eight, maybe 9pm. But what I would do on the first day, after a great day going around Islands of Adventure, pick up the Hogwarts Express. Later on, it will be quiet because people don't tend to hop at that time of night. Okay, so you're going to go to Hogwarts Express because it's different both ways. And we will do it the other way on the next day. Get across to Universal Studios. You must have a hopper ticket to do this, don't forget. Oh, another thing to look up for. When you go into the queue for the Hogwarts Express, if it takes you down into the dungeon area as I think it looks, look up because you can see people walking around on the platform. At first I thought it was an effect, then I realised it was people's footprints above you as they enter the train. Ok, it gives you sort of a perspective of where you are in the park. Ok we get on the Hogwarts Express, we zip straight across to King's Cross, I've been very familiar with King's Cross over the last year or two, <laughs> spent a lot of time in that area in the real King's Cross in London. It's a great replica though. I, I do believe Kings Cross Station at Universal Studios is just a miniature version of the real one itself. Although, as you go through the tunnel exiting the station, that reminds me of Kensington Tube Station, just over the road from the Natural History Museum, because you walk under a tunnel from the museums to get to the Tube Station, and it's just like the one at Universal Studios. Okay, so we're in Universal Studios, it's night time, you walk out of Kings Cross, and it's a beautiful park to see at night time. Kings Cross, if you want to see it at its best, Save for the end when you get to the Simpsons land, because there's a great view over at King's Cross and the Leicester Square area, the Piccadilly Circus area that they've replicated. Actually, if you look at the lampposts along the side of the waterway area there, they are genuinely replicas of the walkway along the River Thames in London. The lampposts are the same. It's incredible. While you're there, look out for Creature in Old Place. He'll be opening the curtain from time to time and maybe talk to Stan. Stan Shunpike, is it? And the, and the talking heads of the Night Bus. But at night time, the park really comes alive. You're into the San Francisco Bay Area straight away when you leave there. And the neon is fantastic. It really is a good look. Okay, we've got to Universal Studios at night. What are we going to do there? We've done the Hogwarts Express across. Now is a perfect time to fit in the Rip It Rocket. Well, what is it called? I can never remember what that one's called. Um, let me think. It's the Hollywood. I've got to get this name right. Because I never can. It's the Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket. That's it, Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket. Perfect time to ride on that attraction. It's nighttime, so it looks great. And that's where you select your own music as well. In fact, another top tip. Yes, I'm going all over this place with this episode, but I'm just speaking as I find. One thing about the Rip It Rocket, as I'm going to call it, because I can't remember it even still, there's a top tip about the hidden songs that are available to riders on there, but they're not included in the queue video. Did you know that? In order to access these songs, you must press and hold the ride logo on the touch screen for about 10 seconds after, must be after lowering the restraint. The list of song categories will be then replaced by a 10 digit keypad, on which the rider can enter a 3 digit code for the desired songs. I think there's about 100 songs or more. For example, what is it, number 108 I know is 8 miles high by the birds. 112 Free Bird by Skinnard. You can get the Immigrant Song is 113 Vertigo by U2 which is appropriate I guess at 128. What else is there? At 701 you have Cyanide by Metallica. There's Painkiller by Judas Priest. That's number 710 and Paranoid by Black Sabbath at 711. Wicker Man by Iron Maiden is 713. There's so many good songs. And if it's your sort of thing you could have a bit of Megadeth and Wake Up Dead at 715. So many good tunes, and a really good one, hidden one for me, that should it really be there? Well it or 901, there's Moving Right Along from the Muppet Movie, and one of my personal favourites at 902, Rainbow Connection from the Muppet Movie. You can have Rainbow Connection playing while you're rip rocking it around Hollywood in Universal Studios. Great, there's lots of others, look it up online, you can find the full list. But it's a very nice hidden gem I find. Okay, what was I talking about, who knows, what have we just done? Yeah, we've done Rip It Rocket in Universal Studios, it's evening time. No need to to leave the park, Uh, have a walk around Universal Studios, take your time. This is an ideal time to maybe do a bit of shopping before you leave, but head towards Simpsons Land. So you've done Rip It Rocket, don't worry about the other attractions, you're going to get them tomorrow. Really don't rush Universal Studios. People think both parks can be done in two days, that's not actually true, there's a lot more to it than that. But what I'm giving you is a highlight way of doing it, so you can get the most from your two days, or one and a half days effectively, if you've travelled. Okay, so I would head towards the Simpsons land. I would 100% go in Moe's for a beer, because at that time of night, later on, it's emptying out. You can go straight in there, get a beer, there's no queues, and you can really explore Moe's Tavern. It is Moe's Tavern from the Simpsons, and that whole area is beautifully lit up on a night, beautiful colours. If you go to the old Back to the Future, oops, sorry, the old Back to the Future ride, which is the Simpsons, actually more about old rides soon. I'll do that, I think, at the end of day one, Now I'll I'll save it for the very end. I'll talk about all the incarnations of different rides because over the 26 years I believe there's only ET that's an original ride left from the very opening day. Anyway, we're back at the Simpsons, we're looking across at King's Cross, beautiful scenery there, take a picture, very very nice. If you feel you can fit a ride in now, just pick one at random but personally I wouldn't worry about it. If it's getting late, your feet are a bit tired, you've done enough walking for the day, let's go hit city walk, have a few beers, a nice meal, and get back to the room, refreshed, ready for the day 2. Because day 2 is going to be a lot more walking and a lot more busy. You've done enough today, have a beer, chill out, it's fine. Ok, let's keep going. Actually before I keep going, I said chill out, it's fine, have a beer, that's something you must remember to do at Universal Studios and any theme park, don't race around. Enjoy it, take it in, absorb the atmosphere. It's very nice sometimes just to chill out and relax. It's not a race and you'll be back, don't worry. People don't think they are, but they will be back. Okay, let's head on to Day 2. Okay, time for Day 2 at Universal Studios and Islands of Adventure. Okay, you had a fairly early night after Day 1. I would suggest getting to bed at least before midnight because you need to be up early the next day. Because you're staying at the Surfside, or the Dockside, or any Universal Studios hotel, you will get an early entry to the theme parks the next day. When I was there last the early entry was 8am, the park opened at 9, so here's what to do. Now, the day I went, Islands of Adventure was the early opening park. Don't walk to it straight away, as you go through City Walk, turn right, Enjoy yourself around CityWalk, take some pictures, because it's quiet, there's nobody around that way. Everybody's going to Islands of Adventure. You're not, you're heading over to Universal Studios because the Universal Studios Globe, which is the icon of the Studios Park, will be free of people taking photographs, there'll be nobody there. Maybe it's one or two, but it's the ideal opportunity to get that perfect picture in front of the globe, in front of the entrance to Universal Studios. Make sure you get there early, before Islands of Adventure opens but give yourself time to enjoy city walk being fairly empty. It's a good tip and you get some great pictures around that time. Then take a nice stroll past the Hard Rock Cafe, more about that shortly, and the chocolate factory that's there now, it used to be the NBA restaurant. The new chocolate factory doesn't really appeal to me but I'm sure it's for somebody. And then I would walk over to Islands of Adventure and go in again. Okay, going in again you say? We're not doing another lap of Islands of Adventure are we? No we're not we're getting the early entry. What can you do with early entry into Islands of Adventure? Turn right through Seuss Landing. Do not pass go. It won't be open anyway, you'll be redirected round the back because only certain areas are open early. Not everything, that's an interesting tip as well to remember. But you're going to Hogsmeade. Everybody else is racing past you because they want to ride Velocicoaster, Harry Potter or Hagrid's ride. No, don't do that. You're going to get those later, don't worry if you haven't already done them. You're going to spend time in Hogsmeade, that's what you're going to do. There is so much to see in Hogsmeade, in the windows, the shops, the whole area. As a Potter fan, it's a must do and a must stop, take your time and enjoy it. If you go in there at 8am, there's no crowds, everybody's racing past. You, you can spend time looking in the windows, taking your pictures, looking for those little strange Potter icons that are in there as well. There's lots of hidden things, I'll come to hidden things later on actually. Make sure you go to the bathroom next door to the three broomsticks as well, the one marked boys and girls. Spend a little bit of time in there. And listen to Morning Myrtle, very much worth a listen. Yes, sad I know, spending time in the bathroom, but it's great. She is one of my favourite characters from the movies and the books, and even better when you hear her in real life. Well is it real life? Whatever life it is. Okay, so you've spent time in Hogsmeade, you've got all the pictures you need, you don't need to come back there unless you really want to but you've done it quite well with it. You can spend half an hour in there and really absorb how good Hogsmeade is. So you are thinking, well, what do I'm wasting my time with my early entry. No, what I would then do is do the flight of the Hippogriff. I mentioned this for day one if it was available. Day two, I definitely do. You'll walk straight on there. It's a very short and fairly smooth ride, but you get a beautiful view over Hogwarts, over the rest of Universal. For me, it's a nice little ride to start the day. No rush, you've done Hogsmeade. You've done Flight of the Hippogriff, fine. No need to rush to Velocicoaster at that time of the morning. No need to rush and do Hagrid's either. We will come to those, don't worry. By all means though, if they are very small queues, and you feel inclined, it's a nice one to take off. Would I rush there? Probably not. I could have easily picked up Velocicoaster at the end of day one as well, I didn't really mention that. Before I went on the Hogwarts Express, it's quite a good time to get to Velocicoaster really. You probably get a 30 minute queue, 40 minute queue, which will probably turn out to be 20 minutes. Something I didn't mention about the Velocicoaster queue actually, I do like the lockers there. Because everywhere in Universal you have to use a locker, so your garbage doesn't fall out onto unsuspecting patrons below I guess, or lose it. But the lockers there, the open locker, to put your stuff in, is on the entrance queue and you don't come back that way, so how do you get your things out? Fantastic ingenuity, as you exit the ride, the backside of your locker, there's another door and you can take your stuff. So simple, so effective. Anyway. That's on Velocicoaster by the way. Where was I? Oh we're going off on all sorts of tangents now. <laughs> ok, it's day 2, we've arrived early, we've done our photos outside, we've entered Island of Adventure, we picked up Flight of the Hippogriff and maybe a major ride if you feel the need, looked around Hogsmeade, where are we going next, we're back on the Hogwarts Express to Universal Studios. It'll be a walk on at this point, don't worry. But it doesn't open till park opening, I must add. So you've basically had an hour in Island of Adventure, that's fine. We're Hogwarts expressing to Universal Studios. The moment I arrive in Universal Studios, shall I do Gringotts? Shall I do other big rides? No, we're going straight to the Mummy. That's where we're going. Come out of Universal Studios, King's Cross Station, turn right and head to the Mummy. Formerly Confrontation. More about former rides later though. Quickly get on the Mummy. If there's a queue, which is highly unlikely as the park has just opened, do the single rider line. It's pretty easy. After the Mummy, where would I go? I'd go straight to Transformers. It will be a walk-on. Mummy and Transformers at this time of day are fairly much walk ons. Best time to do them, you don't want to wait 40 minutes for these rides later on. So you've ticked off Mummy, you've ticked off Transformers, you've done a ride at Islands of Adventure, it's only 930 by this point, maybe it's even 10. What should we do? E.T. E.T. A classic ride. I love riding this ride and my last time I went on it, it felt as though it had been refurbed and almost back to its former glory, so yet you can get E.T. in fairly early without any queues. You've done E.T. Take a look at Woody Woodpecker ride. And the Curious George area if it's a really hot day. And already you're, you're ticking off the rides. But you're taking your time. So after you've done the Woody Woodpecker ride. I'm not really one for the animal shows. If you feel the need to do that. By all means do it. But head towards Simpsons. Now I can't remember the name of the Kang and Kudos ride. I'm going to have to look this one up. I was trying not to use any form of help with this podcast. What What is it called? Oh no. It's in the Simpsons area. Just after the Duff area. Where the Duff beer bottles are. and kudos i'm gonna have to type this in while i'm talking because i can't remember the name of the ride and it is the twirl and hurl or the twirl and hurl as it's called great ride not so much the ride it's the comedy in the background about the aliens trying to take us all prisoners and make us do their will very good ride and again you'll walk on that in 5-10 minutes you've done that do the simpsons ride I still prefer Back to the Future but the Simpsons ride is still good, lots of hidden gems in there if you're a Simpsons fan. And Then Men in Black, all those rides you say, well that's not going to take you just 10 minutes. But you've done Mummy, Transformers, E.T., Woody Woodpecker, Simpsons ride, Twirl and Hurl, Men in Black, that's your morning complete, there's a full morning right there. But it's also going to be out of the way of everybody else. So you've had a nice busy morning, you've done plenty of attractions, you've seen some characters along the way. You might even see Doc Brown running around, he's quite often near the train and the DeLorean, which are actually props from the movies of Back to the Future. So what to do next? Now this is where I like to slow things down. I'm going to City Walk for lunch and some drinks, why not? I'm on vacation, I want some nice food and I don't want to get drunk. Well not too drunk, but just a little bit merry shall we say. So as you leave Universal Studios, there's a tip. Around about 12 to 12.30 you can catch the Bourne attraction. I can't remember the full name of it, but it's the Born Experience or the Born Identity Experience, whatever it is. For me, again, a bit of a must do if you've never done it before. It's the old Terminator attraction, again more about that soon, but it's a really good place to go in, sit down and enjoy the attraction. It's a very, I can't even think of a way to express how clever it is, but it's a very good experience, that's all I can say, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. It's a sit down cinema experience, but it's well worth a look. And then that sets you up nicely for lunch. You've had a little bit of a rest in Bourne. That sure will take you probably twenty to thirty minutes. Let's hit City Walk for lunch. That'll be about one p.m. by this point. So where to go in City Walk? Well, we've left Universal Studios. Walk straight past the NBC restaurant because that is not very good. I've seen the food in there. I've tried some drinks and bits in there. It wasn't up to much. I'm surprised it's still open if I was honest. But NASCAR was much better. I seem to remember that was the former restaurant that was there. Where am I going? I'm going to what I always refer to as cat dog, but it's cowfish or fish cow or whatever it's called. Cowfish? Yes, cowfish. And you go upstairs and have a seat at the bar. Well, that sounds nice and comfortable, doesn't it? Get yourself a nice bento box. Maybe it's the cherry old fashioned there, which is very, very tasty. In fact, I'd probably get two or three of those. Enjoy my bento box. Nice light lunch. Bit of sushi. Job done. Fantastic. Now, if that doesn't take just five minutes. I'd probably take a, at least an hour in there and then maybe an hour and a half, enjoy myself, maybe have a look around the shops, have another beer around city walk, I might even go over to Hard Rock Cafe, a bit more about Hard Rock actually shortly, and have some wings there, their wings are very good in Hard Rock, they always have been, I've been to many Hard Rocks around the world and they always seem to do good wings, have a beer in there, just chill out for the afternoon, take about three hours, that's what I would do, enjoy myself around city walk, nice few beers, let everybody worry about the queues in the ride, let everybody else go and run around, let them rush around, it's not your job. We're having a vacation today. So I enjoyed my late lunch. I've maybe spent to the Hard Rock. Actually, another tangent. Just near Hard Rock, if you look carefully in one of the gardens to the side there, there is in fact a piece of the Berlin Wall. Yeah, there you go. There's also another entrance to Universal Studios, where the Blue Man Group's theater is. You can actually cut through there and get in, but that isn't always open, but worth a try if you're going back in that way. Okay, we're going back into Universal Studios. By this time, it's probably 4 p.m. you have probably about four hours left of the park open. Now I've still got time to hit plenty of things, so do not pass go, head straight to King's Cross and get the Hogwarts Express the other way back to Islands of Adventure. You say I could have walked there, but it's worth doing Hogwarts Express both ways and it'll be pretty much a walk on at this time of night anyway, it won't be too busy. If you didn't do Rip It Rocket, pick that up on your way in as well, it's worth doing if you didn't do it the day before because it was too busy, pick that up now and also check out the Minions attraction because that has horrific queues. It's a bit like Peter Pan in Disney World, where it always seems to have big queues. But as the day goes on later, and children are going home, the queue will come down on this. So maybe get Rip It Rocket, pick up Minions, then into King's Cross. Because you're heading to Islands of Adventure, and then you will do Hagrid's Velocicoaster, which one you haven't done already, or even both, because the queues will be fine. By the time it gets to 6pm, queues for Hagrid's or queues for Velocicoaster are usually pretty easy. Every time I've found big queues are advertised but you get there and it's not really, it's quite an easy get on. So there you go, you've picked up your big rides. But one thing I did forget, before we go on the Hogwarts Express, <laughs> I knew there was something. This is what happens when you don't have show notes. As you, Before you do get the Hogwarts Express actually, don't forget to go into Diagon Alley and explore now it's dark around there, it could be dark about 6pm perhaps, if it's dark, Go into Diagon Alley, see the dragon, breathe the fire. Maybe go down to Nocturne Alley, get frightened down there, as I always do. But just generally take in Diagon Alley as well. It's a perfect time to do that. There's usually a good atmosphere in there with lots of people about, just milling around after a park day. If you haven't done so already, this is a great time to catch Gringotts as well. Escape from Gringotts, as it's called? Who knows? Jump on that ride, best do it as a single rider, and you'll just walk straight on. No issues there. And that's another big ride out of the way. But you could easily fit Gringotts in any time in day one or day two that you happen to be passing. Just do the single rider. It's a breeze. Then get the Hogwarts Express to Universal Studios. Okay, now we've got the Hogwarts Express to Universal Studios, we don't have much long left in the park. We haven't got much time. But as I said, you will pick up Velocicoaster and or Hagrid at this point. Do those. Then you think, well, I've only got a half an hour, maybe an hour left in the park. What am I going to do? Keep walking go straight to Kong. Kong will be a walk on and at night in the dark walking in there it's great it's a great feeling you see the torches of the natives lots of drums beating and it's a really much more atmospheric ride at night. Do the Kong ride I really like it it's not for everybody but I do like the Kong attraction I think it's called Kong Skull Island but anyway we'll do that. Get that out of the way continue walking through Toon Lagoon into the comic book area and what's the last ride you're going to do? Of course it's night you've had a few drinks you're full of food you're a bit tired Let's do the Hulk. Why not? Hit the Hulk. It'll be straight on. You'll be walk on in seconds on there. And a great way to end your second day, because now it's about 8pm. You've rode the Hulk. What am I going to do? I'm hitting city walk. I'm going to Pat O'Brien's. I'm going drinking. And there you have it. In a nutshell, that's two days in Universal Studios. You didn't do everything. You may pick up extras along the way, or maybe not do everything. It isn't an area you can do in two days. You'll never do everything in the two days. You might think you did, but you won't see everything. Take your time, look around. Actually next, after this day two, I will talk about some of the more hidden gems and some of the more unusual facts about uh, Universal I've found out over the years really. This is sure to go wrong without notes, but we'll see what happens. Okay, that's your day two complete. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about some of the more hidden things in Universal shall we? I spoke about Morning Myrtle and some of the other more hidden things. There's also plenty of Jaws tributes. I'm sure you are aware that Wizarding World of Harry Potter was built on the Jaws site, or the Jaws attraction site. But there are so many nods to Jaws in Diagon Alley. There's the window display in Mr. Mulpepper's Apothecary, is it? Next to, oh, that's it, next to Florian Fortescue's Ice Cream Parlour. And that has a large shark jawbone. The shrunken heads in Nocturne Alley are singing, Show Me the Way to Go Home, which was a song featured in Jaws. In Wiseacre's Wizarding Equipment, easy for you to say, there's a telescope and that's made from actual factual parts of the Jaws queue. And lastly, if you look at the little record shop that's near King's Cross, near Leicester Square tube station I think it is, on the waterfront that hides Diagon Alley, there's a cover for an album there called, Here's to Swimming with Legged Women, by the Quint Trio, which is a reference to the line said by Captain Quint in the Jaws movie, Here's to Swimming with legged Women, yes these things are hidden. There's also a little nod to Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. If you go in the alley between Transformers the ride and the Revenge of the Mummy, you'll find a poster for the Blind Pig, which is the name of the speakeasy in Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. There you go. I think I mentioned the Berlin Wall, we talked about that earlier. Actually the Minions ride. There's another little known fact that the plants outside of the Minions ride and the queue are actually banana plants. Banana, The Minions favourite food. What else is there? Oh, this is a good one as well, because Disney has hidden Mickeys, okay? We all know that, I'm sure. Universal has hidden Adams. Adams? Who are you talking about? Adam Kubert, Right? Who's he? Well, imagine being an artist and being commissioned to create huge superhero figures that tons of people will see and admire as they're walking through a theme park every day. That's a pretty big deal, yeah? Well that's exactly what happened to Adam Kubert. He's the artist who's a comic book art veteran and he seems the right man for the job obviously because he's done so much comic book art in his life. So what did he do? He signed all of the figures with Adam. It's a bit of a fun scavenger hunt to be honest. If you look around all the great artwork he's done in the comic book area, you'll see Adam hidden on somebody's hand or in a flash or something like that. It's everywhere if you look. Take a look next time you're there and see if you can find the hidden Adams. Going back to the Wizarding World actually, something else I'd forgotten. If you're in Diagon Alley, there's actually the old style. Red phone booth outside King's Cross station, and if you go in there and dial the Ministry of Magic. How do I do that you say? Dial 62442, because that translates to magic on a new phone. There you go. You didn't know that did you? I hope you didn't. What else is there? There's links to Steven Spielberg in Men in Black attraction, if you shoot a guy sat on a bench, he removes his newspaper, and there's Steven Spielberg's head underneath actually a little known fact about Spielberg and Universal. So in March 1987, when planning work was well underway for Universal Studios, MCA, the then owners of Universal, announced that Steven Spielberg, the director of Jaws, E.T. and loads of other hits they would use, had signed on as a creative consultant for the park. It's a bit interesting actually, because he was very good friends with George Lucas, and George Lucas was working as creative consultant for Disney, now they're pitted against each other. But lots of Spielberg's work does appear in the Universal Studios theme parks. But the deal that tied Spielberg to Universal was extraordinarily lucrative for him. According to executives with knowledge of the arrangement, under the terms of agreement Spielberg would collect 2% of the gross revenues from Universal Studios Florida, including tickets and concession sales. What? This was designed to continue in perpetuity, such that generations of future Spielbergs would also share in the income. That's a massive amount. However, Universal renegotiated the deal in 2009, while this meant that the director would still be entitled to a sizeable slice of the resort's income, he would not now be entitled to seek a lucrative buyout until June 2017. In exchange though, Spielberg would receive a stake in revenues from planned parks in Singapore and Dubai, that's ridiculous the amount of money he must have made from this. must have cost Universal a fortune, but I'm sure it was worth it for them. But then again, early rides based on his movies, such as E.T, Jaws, Back to the Future, it really did help it stand out from Disney World as well and become a success in its own right. So I can understand why why he needed the income, or, or made the income. Okay, well, the facts do we have. Actually, the Hard Rock Cafe. Should talk about that now. The Hard Rock Cafe that's there now, it's like a Colosseum type building. When the first Hard Rock Cafe opened in Universal in early 1990, I think it was the 13th in the chain then. I guess what? 185 Hard Rocks around the world now. I've been to a few of them. But when they built it at Universal Studios, it was iconic because it was the first one they were actually not retrofitting a building, it was purpose built for the job. And the original was in the shape of a guitar. It even had huge silver tuning pegs at the end of the neck of the guitar. I think it was 300 foot long the neck. It was huge. That was the entrance to the restaurant. And the section was covered with a roof that outfitted with neon and fibre optic strands that doubled as massive guitar strings. And it was topped off with this huge dome in the middle, with a mural underneath of famous rock stars Hendrix, Janis, Joplin, the likes of that, and Elvis I believe. And I remember visiting that Hard Rock and it served as an entrance to the park from the monstrous car park that used to be there. That's a huge car park, should talk about that in a second actually. But when Island Adventure was built and the whole park got modified, the Hard Rock Cafe had to make way. And it was closed for good in December 1998. But that was exactly the day when its replacement was ready, at City Walk, so really nobody missed a beat on it. So Universal closed that entrance that was by the Hard Rock Café, the original one, but it didn't actually get rid of the building for until about 13 years after closing. You could be able to see it through the fences, just behind the Woody Woodpecker ride in KidZone. I'm sure I can remember seeing that. Interestingly enough though, if you want to pay your respect to the first Hard Rock Café at Universal Studios, you can still do it. Just a small, curved portion of the old record plaza remains. It's tucked away behind Woody Woodpecker's Nuthouse coaster. That's the full name for it, I remember. And guests are regularly routed that way during Halloween Horror Nights to access some of the more out-of-the-way haunted houses. Actually, I should talk about how things changed in that area next. As I said, Hard Rock Cafe Original was changed to the City Walk Hard Rock, but there's been lots of changes in the parks over the years. Obviously, the biggest change was the monstrous car park I mentioned. It was a huge parking lot, so much land, but that became City Walk and also we now have the multi-storey car parks which I believe are among the largest in the world. The Minions attraction I mentioned, that was previously Jimmy Neutron, which was previously the futuristic world of Hanna-Barbera, three changes over the years. Jaws in the Amity area, actually the shark is still there down by the San Francisco Bay area, but that changed into the wizarding world of Harry Potter. The Ghostbusters spooktacular became Twister, which subsequently became the Jimmy Fallon ride, which I do love actually, I didn't mention that, How, how did I miss that? Whenever you're in Universal Studios, possibly after The Mummy and in between that and Transformers, do the Jimmy Fallon race through New York. I really like it. I'm a fan of Jimmy Fallon. Sure, It's a good bit of fun. I really enjoyed it. Again, it's not for everybody and it's usually very easy to get on. Back to the different incarnations though. Back to the future, I mentioned Became the Simpsons. The Transformers ride. I often wondered how they managed to fit that in, but then I realised it was demolishing of Soundstage 44 which was home to Hercules and Xena, the wizards of the screen, and also Murder She Wrote just before that, the Mystery Theatre. Again, so many changes. There was Earthquake, the big one, again one of my favourite attractions. That became Disaster, a major motion picture ride starring you, which then became, unfortunately, Fast and Furious, which I didn't mention at all on those days because you've got no reason to write that. It's even If you're a fan, maybe go in there, but for me, it offers nothing. It's a very poor attraction. One of my favourite attractions was the Beetlejuice Rock and Roll Graveyard Review. But before that, that was the American Tale Theatre. But then Beetlejuice made way for Fast and Furious Supercharged. Oh dear, what a waste of a space. Confrontation, the original King Kong ride, a fantastic ride in its time, but I'm sure it was plagued by engineering problems. But that became The Mummy. There's still throwbacks to the Confrontation. I think there's a little gold King Kong outside of The Mummy or within the queue that is a throwback to Confrontation. And even as you exit the mummy, there used to be a photo opportunity where you could stand in King Kong's hand. The walkway down to that is still there and the gift shop is exactly the same only it's now the mummy, not King Kong. Anyway I digress. Nickelodeon Studios, I used to like that attraction, the little gund is it gunged fountain that used to be down there. That became Blue Man Group. The MCA recording studio, remember MCA owned Universal at the time. MCA recording studio, you could do sound effects and record your own songs I believe. That became Studio 54 which was a props area from different movies, and that became the donkey meet and greet from Shrek. Talking of Shrek, there was the Alfred Hitchcock, The Art of Making Movies, that attraction was replaced by Shrek 4D. The Alfred Hitchcock was really good fun, it was all about the art of filmmaking, and they recreated the shower scene from Psycho, no it wasn't a naked woman in there, there's scenes from Vertigo, scenes from Rear Window, that was very well done. There was the old Wild 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 West stunt show, and that was replaced by Fear Factor, which is also now closed. Men in Black, Alien Attack, what was that before, well it was part of the production studio tour. The Swamp Thing set used to be there, I mentioned the Animal Show, that was Animal Actors Stage which became Animal Planet Live, which became Animal Actors on Location, I've done that once or twice, it's not really my scene if I was honest. There was the Bates Motel set, I'd forgotten about that as well, and that was replaced by A Day in the Park with Barney, which was eventually replaced by DreamWorks Destination. There was also the Bates Mansion set, and that replaced by Curious George Goes to Town, very strange. A classic piece of Americana for me was the shop that was Lucy, a tribute. Again I'm not a huge fan of I Love Lucy, great show I'm sure. But it was a good piece of Americana for me, but that's now been replaced by the Hello Kitty store, which for me doesn't really fit in there. I mentioned earlier, Terminator 2 3D Battle Across Time was replaced by the Bourne attraction, that's a good change in my view, although I do like Terminator. Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket, got it right this time, that took part of the Twister queue area. But other than that it was really squeezed into the Nickelodeon area and also in between everything else in that area. Very well engineered and well fit in. because <laughs> It's quite a long ride. It's a good ride as well. Good smooth ride. Bit scary at the beginning but it's good. Actually I believe the original intention was to access the uh, Rip Ride Rocket whatever it's called from City Walk, so you could ride for a fee. So if you came out of Hard Rock Cafe it seemed to match appropriately. If you wanted to pay extra just go and ride it once without going into the park. It's a bit of a shame that didn't happen as I probably would have done it. Okay, I think that's enough about the different incarnations and hard rock cafes and all the various other things you can do at Universal Studios. I end my night at Pat O'Brien's as I said, I'd go in there for a few drinks, have a hurricane, they do a really good jambalaya in there, but there's also plenty to do in and around city walk. I think that would end my little visit quite nicely, there's two fun filled days for you at Universal Studios. Time for bed. In my nice room. It's surfside. Well we spent through our time at Universal there. As I said, it's a place I always like to visit. One of my favourite theme parks in the world. And I do think they're getting their service right at the moment. The express pass service they offer, they've always had it available to pay for, but I don't really think you need to do it. I think you'll just race around too much and miss everything. But if it was really busy in the summer, Perhaps I could justify the express pass, I can't remember how much that is, but I think it's probably double the fee again to the entrance. Unfortunately entrance to these parks isn't cheap, but for me Universal is definitely still worth it and good value. Okay, before I leave, do a few more things. What have I been watching lately? Ah yes, 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 just this very morning. The Fraggle Rock reboot. Back to the rock. I watched episode 1 actually posted the intro to it on my YouTube channel, Criskit. Don't forget to go and visit Criskit, Criskit, C-H-R-I-S-C-U-I-T. Yes, the Fraggle Rock reboot, it's excellent. If you took the Fraggle Rock from the 80s or 90s, up the 80s, just more of that, only better, I would say. They've got it exactly right this time. This is one reboot I would say it's better than the original, based on one episode that I've seen, but I really thoroughly enjoyed it. The music was good, the characters were good, the do's were there. It's, it's just perfect. The trash heap is spoken. <laughs> if you know what I mean. I do like the Muppet Rats. Yes, Fraggles reboot. Back to Fraggle Rock. Give it a look. It's on Apple TV. Well worth it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. If you're a Fraggle fan or a Muppet fan, give this a look. It's definitely got all the right ingredients for me so far. And before I leave you... Not the usual quote this time, or funny tale, they will be coming back don't worry, plenty of dad jokes still in this season. But I thought I'd resurrect something I did, I think in my very first one or two episodes of podcast 42, now Criscuit42, I did a random Spotify 5 tunes, I took my ever growing playlist and let Spotify pick 5 random tunes, let's see what we get shall we. Here we go see if we can work it, I always had trouble with this in the early episodes for some reason. So here we go, my playlist, select, random play. Perfect first song, Joy Division Oven Gloves by Half Man, Half Biscuit. From the album, Actung Bono. If you haven't heard of Half Man, Half Biscuit, definitely give them a listen. I'm not gonna dwell on these songs too much. Let's see who we get next. Ooh, the who. I can see for miles. I can see for miles and miles. Okay, enough of that, so I don't get done for copyright. What's going to be next? So yep, the who I can see for miles and miles. I've actually seen the who live three or four times. Awesome live. Always do a good three hour set. Hard to get them off stage. Who do we have next? Oh. Well you might not know this one, you'd know one of their original songs from about 1981 Turning Japanese by The Vapors. Well The Vapors got resurrected again and created a new album last I think, 18 months ago. And this song is called Real Time from the album Together by The Vapors. It's actually, just pause that, it's actually quite a decent album as well. So give them a look, The Vapors, V-A-P-O-R-S, how many is that? That's three so far, who do we get next? oh this is a good very I think they're a new band but they're new in the charts Fontaine's DC and this track is Dublin City Sky very good band and definitely been adding more of their songs to my playlist over the last few months check them out if you can hear that you get the idea what's next ah Another classic of mine. I've mentioned these before, I'm sure. Shed 7. From the album Instant Pleasures, Enemies and Friends. Now, Shed 7 have been around a long time. I remember watching them in the 90s. I've seen them a few times as they do their shed December tours each year, recently. And this album was bought that must be three, two and a half, three years ago now. Very good album. Worth a listen. Right the way through. Ok, there's your 5 songs for today. I do like that little section actually, hopefully it'll give you some inspiration of music to listen to. But that's just 5 random songs from my playlist of about 5,000 songs. Ok, where do we go next? I think that's about it really. Ok I think that about wraps up for a rather upbeat episode 1 of season 3 of Criscuit 42. Hopefully you've learned a little bit about Universal Studios and you end up visiting there soon. Tell me about your visit. Don't forget you can contact me on Podcast 42, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-F-O-R-T-Y-T-W-O, I think I spelled that right, at gmail.com. Also keep checking out the Chriskit YouTube channel, lots of ukulele shenanigans, fraggle shenanigans and keyboard attempts on there as well. Any requests are always welcome, had a few song requests recently and did a few of those for people, so drop me a line. Anyway, if you've made it this far, thank you for listening, and we'll see you more in Season 3. Of Crisket, forty two. Is a WWOR special report. Ladies and gentlemen, you are looking at footage taken near the Queensborough Bridge just moments ago, where a tram load of passengers narrowly escaped disaster at the hands of King Kong. As the tram traveled high over the East River, the mighty Kong attacked, causing it to fall and nearly plummet into the water below. At the last moment, the tram operator regained control leading the stunned passengers to safety this reporter salutes the bravery and courage of everyone on board the tram as they arrive safely at their destination this has been a ww oh how that, folks it looks like we're heroes all right now watch your backs and your elbows these lepers will be coming up behind you as well as in front of you very carefully lift up and watch your step as you exit out to your left hand side on behalf of universal studios